I'm Greg Harton, editorial page editor of the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Today I'm joined by our newspaper's editor, Rusty Turner, as we speak with Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson. Governor Hutchinson, a native of Bentonville, is a year into his second and final term as governor after winning re-election in 2018 with more than 65% of the vote. He has three years remaining as the state's chief executive. Hutchinson previously served as the third district congressman here in Northwest Arkansas and as the U.S. Attorney in Fort Smith. He also served under President George W. Bush as the Administrator of the Drug Enforcement Administration. And after the 9-11 attacks in 2001, he became Undersecretary for Border and Transportation Security in the Department of Homeland Security. He first took the oath of office as governor in 2015. We spoke with the governor in the downtown Fayetteville office of the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. All right, Governor, thank you for being here. We really appreciate you being in Northwest Arkansas anytime, and, and certainly here at our podcast, uh, uh, we always welcome you to come and visit with us. Thank you. It's uh, great to be back, and it's great to have uh, this new avenue to uh, get news out and to talk about some of the issues that face our state. Well, as, as we talked about earlier, you were our inaugural guest uh, on uh, Speaking of Arkansas a year ago uh, when we had uh, a chance to talk about the legislative session uh, last year and so we thought it'd be great to have you back here but uh, you're also in town to speak uh, at the uh, Northwest Arkansas Political Animals Club. Uh, Can you give us an idea of uh, what you're going to be telling them a little bit later today? Well we'll be talking about uh, the uh, growth in the state of Arkansas in terms of the economy, the fact that we have a Uh, $90 million surplus uh, through six months of the year, which reflects the fact that our economy is growing. We're creating jobs. You look back in 2019 and uh, the industry that we brought in, the new jobs that have been created, the growth, uh, that's reflected in the fact that uh, our state revenues exceed the forecast. Now, you know, that's just a measuring stick, but it also means that when we've had tax cuts, that there's more money in individuals' pockets to spend. It's just great for our economy. So I'll be talking about that. And you mentioned, uh, you know, a year ago uh, that I was here looking forward to the legislative session. And of course, I'm very pleased with the fact that we did raise teacher pay. Uh, We uh, transformed state government in a historic way, passed a highway funding bill, uh, and we had tax cuts. Uh, So a historic session and so 2019 was a very successful year. Uh, One thing I will specifically mention to the uh, Political Animals Club when I speak to them is that I just got off the phone with Ambassador Chu uh, from uh, China and I congratulated them as I've congratulated our president on the trade deal with China. Uh, I have been invited to uh, the signing ceremony in the White House with uh, President Trump. Uh, I will be sending my Secretary of Agriculture there because that really reflects new opportunities in Arkansas with China's commitment to purchase $200 billion of our goods and services uh, over just the next couple of years. So uh, that's exciting for us in Arkansas when we really are so engaged in global trade and really dependent upon that global trade. This is something that we've put, I've pushed for and advocated for, so delighted with the signing of the Phase 1 agreement and uh, uh, looking forward to that opportunity as the, I made the case to our ambassador, we need to sell rice to China. 
And I know that's not Northwest Arkansas, but it's still important for our state. The, um, the relationship between the U.S. and China is, uh, is great in some areas and, and tense in others. How, how do you navigate that when, when you visit or when you're, uh, when you're speaking with uh, uh, representatives of China to, uh, uh, to, to focus on what Arkansas needs? Well, you're absolutely right that there's some uh, tenseness in the relationship uh, whenever you look at the fact that they have not uh, had a high regard for intellectual property rights, uh, the fact that there has been, uh, uh, you know, uh, economic trade secrets that they have access to, and and it's also they repress freedom there, and that's uh, one of the biggest concerns is that it's not a freedom-loving uh, nation. It's still a communist nation. Uh, but the fact is that they're the second uh, leading economy in the world. Uh, our economy is intertwined with them. It's not helpful to extricate uh, and separate the two economies. And so it's a very pragmatic look at China, but it's also a hope that uh, as they have more economic freedom, that leads to freedom in other areas. And, uh, and you know, whenever we have uh, students that come here, whenever we have their industry that comes here, uh, then that exchange also helps us to promote our freedoms that we hope that they will ultimately embrace. Uh, I'm a realist when it comes to China, uh, but that realism includes the fact that they can be a very good strategic uh, partner with us whenever it comes to their helpfulness in North Korea. Uh, North Korea poses a greater risk to China uh, than they do the United States. And uh, whenever we can partner with them on those strategic alliances, uh, that's good for us. So we, uh, we need to be tough on our trade policies with them. We need to be fair in our relationships, but we should not uh, cast them aside as saying uh, there's somebody we should not be doing business with because uh, we should. Governor, you, uh, you mentioned rice as a big part of, of the benefit that comes to our rice Selling rice to China is a big benefit to Arkansas as part of as um, part of the trade deal. Are there other areas of the Arkansas economy that might be affected uh, positively by that deal? Oh, absolutely. Uh, uh, whenever you look at the uh, presence of Walmart uh, in China, uh, it doesn't impact Walmart directly, but it sends the signal that they're going to continue to be open and try to expand. Uh, the access of their market to our services, and many of it's in the financial services area. Uh, but also, uh, Tyson's has a great presence there, but it's, but it's also uh, the opportunities for uh, small businesses uh, to market their products there, uh, from pharmaceuticals uh, to healthcare, even the insurance markets. And so, uh, over time, Arkansas and many areas will be a beneficiary of that, but the one that uh, we have to watch very carefully is China's investment in the United States. Uh, we've, we're trying to return manufacturing uh, from China to the United States. Uh, I've led the effort to bring five different manufacturing companies from China here to Arkansas so that they're producing the goods in Arkansas versus in China. Now, about three of those are in place in operation. Uh, the jobs are being created. Uh, but there's a couple of them that are stymied, very large ones, because of the trade disputes. And so it's my hope that that return of manufacturing from China to the United to Arkansas uh, will get back on track as a result of this Phase One agreement.
Are you planning to talk? Uh, we're, we're about 11 months, 10 months, whatever, from the um, uh, November election. Uh, so when you go to political animals today, do you plan to talk about highway funding? Uh, are you in? Are you in that phase yet, where you're you're pitching that at every opportunity that you get? I am indeed, and so uh, in every uh, speech opportunity that I have, I always come back to the importance of the issue one passage uh, in the November 2020 election, which is this year. <laughs> I have to remind myself. Uh, and so that is not a new tax. It is an extension of an existing half-cent sales tax. And I'm pleased with where we are on that, with the legislature uh, really tapping into general revenues and saying we're going to squeeze as much as we can uh, fairly out of the state budget to put into highways. But we really can't have the robust program that we need unless we have an extension of the half-cent sales tax. And so I'm going to be campaigning for that. I'll mention it uh, today at Political Animals Club. The poll numbers are very supportive of that. Uh, people understand, particularly in northwest Arkansas, the need for infrastructure. Uh, and uh, what we need to emphasize that this is not just a continuation of funding for a robust highway program, but the counties and cities will actually lose money and they'll have to cut back their road budgets if this extension of the half-cent sales tax doesn't pass. The, the state uh, in these national surveys of states uh, generally uh, gets, I guess, low marks for having a fairly high tax burden um, in terms of local and, and state uh, sales tax in particular. Um, I would assume that would be for people who who would oppose the tax come November, that that would be a critical point to them, that the sales tax is not the best way to uh, to go after uh, funding something or is the regressive approach. Um, uh, how do you respond to those kinds of concerns? Well, we, we do have too high of a tax burden in Arkansas. Uh, there is some uniqueness to our system here in this state. Whenever you're a small rural state, uh, you don't have the volume of revenues that a Texas or a Florida has. But even with that, we have reduced our income tax rate significantly and continuously over the last four years so that we're now, uh, next year we'll go to a 5.9% rate. Uh, this year we go to a 6.5% rate. And so we're continually to chip away to be more competitive in the income tax rate and give relief. When it comes to sales taxes, uh, that's been uh, something that our local option allows our uh, counties and cities to tap into and and so that's what's kicked it up high, uh, higher than uh, what we like it to be. But uh, uh, I think even with that, uh, people understand that you have to be able to fund the roads and whenever you look at the options that are there, uh, we've not never tapped into general revenues to pay for our highways. We've always had special revenues that go to it, which has primarily been the fuel tax. The fuel tax, I don't think the public wants to have a 10 or 15 cent increase in the fuel tax. And so, uh, you know, the logical option is simply an extension of an existing half cent sales tax. So it's not going to be raising it, it's going to be extending it. And uh, I, I like to see a, a cap on the sales tax so we make sure we don't bring get that any higher than it is. I'd be happy with that. But uh, this extension is important. I think people understand that. 
We've had several people write letters to the editor and, and just comment to me on the phone about the um, uh, registration fee on hybrid and electric vehicles. Um, it's uh, $100 for the hybrids and $200 a year for the, um, uh, the electric vehicles. Um, uh, we've had several letters that letter writers who have done the math on that compared to what the gas using vehicles would uh, uh, use and and that rate seems to to go well beyond what the gas users will will be using on a average kind of mileage uh, usage um, so why does it make sense to to put that kind of extra fee tax on electric and hybrid vehicles well first of all uh, I identify with uh, that uh, sentiment that nobody likes to see the registration fees goes up. Uh, in fact, uh, my son, who uh, is uh, has a vehicle for my grandson, happens to be a hybrid, and he brought me the registration fee that showed there's a hundred dollar <laughs> increase, and so I got my ear chewed out. Uh, but the logic behind it is that uh, we want to make sure the users of our highways pay a share of the. Uh, road maintenance costs. And of course, with the all-electric vehicles particularly, uh, they're not buying the fuel tax. They're not paying the fuel tax because they're not consuming it. And therefore, uh, this is one way that they can add to paying their fair share. Now, the hybrid's a little bit more difficult, but they have a reduced, they're continuing to use the highway miles, but it is uh, reduce fuel usage and so this helps to balance that out. So I don't think there'd be any case in which uh, this would be making them pay more than their share. It's just simply saying they've got to contribute to the highway maintenance just like those that are utilizing the, the fuel. As we discourage uh, fuel usage, as we encourage more economy cars, you have to have a different financing mechanism to share the burden to those who use our highways, and this is the logic of it is that uh, this will help do that. It's very minimal now, but over time it will create a, a more balanced sharing of that uh, maintenance load. The, yeah, I think the criticism has primarily not been about you know, hybrids or electric vehicles paying a tax, but that the $100 and $200 rates actually, when you when you compare it to the same kind of mileage each year with a gas-using vehicle, it it is well beyond what the uh, hike in tax is on the gas-using vehicles. Well, that doesn't sound right to me, but happy to look at those numbers. Uh, whenever the legislature passed that, you know, they were comparing the, uh, the registration fee for hybrids with some other states, uh, but also uh, if, if someone has got a, uh, a vehicle that's utilizing gas in the normal manner, uh, I would think that, that uh, what they're going to be, the hybrids would be saving over that would be much more than $100. The hybrids are going to be saving more than that. But I'd be happy to look at those numbers. Uh, if we need to rebalance that, that's something we can look at. Okay. But you think in the long haul that all vehicles are going to, uh, because they all wear on the highways, so all vehicles are going to have to shoulder that burden. They're all going to have yeah. to sh uh, shoulder the burden, and they will all benefit from it. Mm. Uh, it you know, 
whether it's a hybrid or an all-electric vehicle or, or uh, the typical uh, diesel vehicle, uh, you know, everybody's going to benefit from having better highways, um, uh, better maintained, and new infrastructure. It's going to save them time uh, that they wait in traffic. It's going to save on cost of repair. And so this is just an essential thing for our state. And let me add to that one of the things that excites me, because I've been engaged in this for some time, but that if we can continue to invest in our highway infrastructure, uh, and I'm talking about the Highway 412 going from uh, northwest Arkansas to northeast Arkansas, if we can continue to invest in I-49 on that south, southern corridor, it helps unite our state. It brings us together more, it brings our economy more together, as well as expanding our economy. So there's so many different uh, benefits from uh, that continued investment. Governor, if I could shift gears a little bit. Um, uh, just before the uh, uh, just before the new year, you had uh, announced that Arkansas would, uh, would still be a place where um, uh, refugees through the State Department uh, could be located. Um, uh, not taking advantage of, of an opportunity to say that, that Arkansas would no longer participate. Could you talk a little bit about what, into, what went into that decision? I know that's something of, of high interest for some folks here in northwest Arkansas who are active in, in relocating refugees from, uh, uh, from other countries. Well, I applaud northwest Arkansas for being welcoming to having uh, a, a nonprofit organization, the Canopy, that has so many different faith-based organizations and churches participating in it, that basically says we want to be a welcoming country to those uh, refugees that are coming in our country legally, uh, but have endured persecution, that have uh, a great need, and we have compassion here in our country and the greatest traditions of America. And so I applaud uh, Northwest Arkansas uh, and, uh, you know, the county judge in Benton County and Washington County and the cities uh, have embraced that and said, yes, we will continue to accept uh, refugees that have been properly vetted. Now, let me give a little bit more background. Uh, I get uh, uh, criticized in some quarters because uh, in 2016, uh, what's that, three, four years ago, uh, I issued a statement uh, when the then president was talking about bringing 100,000 Syrians into the United States of America. And I said, that's not a good idea because there's not a partnership with the states, there's not uh, sufficient confidence in the vetting process. Uh, and so what's changed? A lot has changed. The number is more limited in terms of the refugees that come in, the priority uh, the ones that will be coming in are clearly defined as those suffering religious persecution, uh, those that have uh, cooperated with the United States of America, and it's not focused on all Syrians. And so, in fact, most of the refugees coming in are Congolese, uh, African nations that have endured persecution. And so that's changed. And then finally, the vetting process uh, has changed so that my most recent conversations with Homeland Security, they uh, spent a lot of time with a reduced number that they could vet very clearly, and they assured me that there was no risk for those that are coming in. They've been vetted very thoroughly. Uh, and then the, what else has changed is the fact that this president said, we're going to partner with the states. My concern three years ago was that 
It was totally a federal decision. We didn't have any visibility, didn't have any understanding of it. And uh, the president has said the state's going to be a partner in this. And so that all of those changes said this is the right thing to do. Uh, last year, I believe it was 54 uh, refugees were brought into Arkansas, uh, all legally, uh, all uh, getting jobs, uh, uh, getting uh, the right assimilation. This year, it's going to be a little bit fewer. Uh, that's just simply because of the federal constraints on it and their vetting process. So uh, I, I spent 19 years in Fort Smith, and it was always a source of great pride that uh, Fort Smith, uh, Western Arkansas, was so welcoming to the Vietnamese refugees. And of course, then it was four to 6,000 that came in and located in that community. My children went to school with them. Uh, the diversity of that population, how they love our freedom here. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great thing for America to continue to be energized and blessed by those that uh, have immigrant roots, but that come here for freedom and the love of freedom and all that America has to offer. And I think we need to, uh, while we uh, make sure our security is protected, we need to continue to recognize uh, the history of our nation and how important uh, those immigrants are to the fabric of our country. Uh, Senator Trent Garner's response to that was basically to call for investigations in the Senate uh, about your announcement and, and decision, uh, do you think that's going to go anywhere? Well, the challenge is that I've got 135 members of the General Assembly, they all want to be governor. And, uh, and there's a way to get and make that happen. You just get out there and run for it. But this is an executive branch decision. It's not a legislative decision. And uh, I respect them. I'm going to be testifying before their committee uh, next Monday uh, because I want uh, the facts out. I want everybody to have good understanding of it. There's nothing secret about this. This is uh, something that I'm working with President Trump uh, to uh, make sure that uh, they're properly vetted, uh, but they also have a home. He said we're going to accept 18,000 refugees. So uh, let's uh, make that happen in the best way possible, uh, consistent with security, which I'm confident of, and uh, consistent with uh, the best traditions of America. Um, let's talk for just a moment about uh, uh, guns. Um, you know, you, you've got the uh, church shooting down in Texas that uh, turned out very differently than yeah. some of the other uh, uh, violence that has happened. Um, uh, so you've, you have seen kind of a renewal of the discussions about uh, uh, arming people versus not arming people and all of that, which uh, I think uh, maybe a never-ending debate, but uh, uh, th this last month or so has has that uh, has that become part of any discussions uh, at the governor level and and hearing concerns about that or, or concerns about people feeling like they they need to be able to have weapons so, uh, in places and or or people who who just don't want them there. Well, we certainly uh, fought what's happening nationally in those uh, tragedies and the Texas shooting uh, is uh, the most recent example of it. Uh, but first of all, we looked at it and said, yes, I think we have uh, our Arkansas law about right, which allows churches to make a decision. If churches want to have a firearm free zone, they can do that. But uh, most of the churches in Arkansas, I'm confident, uh, have really invested in 
their security. And part of that is uh, understanding who in the congregation might be armed, uh, coordinating that uh, uh, personal defense uh, with a larger security uh, plan for the, uh, for the church. And so whether it's a Jewish synagogue or whether it's a, it's a Baptist or a Methodist church, everybody has gone through those security plans and it's a necessity. Some simply utilize uh, off-duty law enforcement because it has a show of strength and presence there. Others uh, utilize uh, uh, you know, the congregation that's been trained and have uh, uh, the license to uh, personally carry or constitutionally carry. So uh, I think we do have the right balance here. The bigger conversation are the schools and uh, you know that's something that is a very sensitive area. And uh, again, it goes back to letting the local school districts develop their security plans and have a lot of different options. But they simultaneously have uh, uh, invested in security. We've enhanced the number of our school resource officers, but also uh, some have opted to, uh, you know, trained staff that go through enhanced training. Uh, coordinating with the police, but they will be carrying uh, in their schools as commissioned uh, school safety officers as well. Uh, we did our school safety task force that made recommendations that have been widely adopted. So while we're not immune from it, uh, we are doing all that we can to make sure uh, our students are protected, which is our most precious uh, responsibility. Is there any Particular approach, um, you know, given your background in Homeland Security and and the uh, special task force that you did with the NRA, um, is there anything that that you personally would like to see uh, the state proceed with uh, that that you think is a missing component in the gun issue and the and the violence issue? I think we have to follow the recommendations that were made that are very broad ranging. First of all. Uh, every school should have an armed presence because whether you look at the church in Texas uh, or whether you look at school circumstances, an armed presence is both a deterrent uh, but it's also a, the quickest response possible. That's the first thing. Uh, secondly, uh, we're making progress in school design and architecture. As the state invests more in schools, uh, construction, we're also realizing uh, we've got to have the up-to-date designs on security where you don't have multiple accesses, you limit the accesses, you have access controls. And then, you know, there's uh, schools that are investing in safe rooms and, and, of course, the training part of it. So all of that layered security is what you have to emphasize when it comes to the protection of our schools. The most important thing is that each school recognizes that one, they have a responsibility. Secondly, every school is different. And so they have to design their own security plan. They're doing that. And I think we have a good balance with the state's responsibility and support and what the schools are doing. Um, Governor, I was going to uh, give you the opportunity to talk a little bit about your, your uh, uh, coding initiative. Uh, it was part of your election campaign, of your re-election campaign. Um, has that uh, produce the results you wanted? Is it is it what you envisioned when you first talked about it so far? It has exceeded the results I expected and ex exceeded every expectation that I had for it. And uh, first of all, in the number of students that are participating in it, uh, we 
you know, I was hoping that we would have 6,000 students after four years. We're well over 9,000 students, almost 10,000 students that are taking computer science uh, in just simply the high schools, and that's not counting what we've done in the lower grades. Uh, so the number of students that are taking it, and then the second expectation is that higher education responds to it, and uh, they have, but I think we need to do more there uh, to raise the quality of our instruction and the sophistication of our coding and our computer science because those computer science engineers is what brings in the high-tech businesses to our state. And it's the talent pool that comes uh, through the coding initiatives in our high schools, but it's our higher education that really produces the uh, long-term economic benefit from that. And then uh, in terms of the business side of it, uh, we just brought in uh, DXC Technologies into Conway, Arkansas. That's 1,200 employees in the tech world that manages software implementation from Puerto Rico to Canada, all out of Conway, and it's 1,200 employees. I asked the CEO how many of those employees will be from out of state that move into Arkansas. Now, you think every governor wants 100% from Arkansas. I don't. I want our state to grow. And it was 40% they expected to bring in from out of state. And I think that is fantastic. But that means 60% are being produced in Arkansas for high-tech jobs. And I asked them why they chose Arkansas, and it was because, partly because of our coding initiative. And they could see the talent pool that's coming here. Uh, and then to be nationally recognized, and this is... I mean, we are still recognized as one of the leading states, if not the leading state, in the comprehensive computer science education program. Last year, we had a national summit hosted by me. We had 33 states participate in it, and North Carolina walked away, and they said, we're going to do exactly what Arkansas did. Uh, that's the example we're setting for the nation that's being expanded. I right now have a... Uh, a new task force, a computer science uh, task force that I uh, that first met uh, yesterday and I've asked them to keep the momentum up. What is the next step in our computer science initiative? What more can we do to support it, to retrain teachers, to make sure we're allocating our, our money in the right direction? Uh, that And it has an emphasis upon higher education as well as industry. And so uh, Stay tuned. We're not going to rest on what we've done, but we're going to try to stay on the cutting edge of that uh, frontier of technology for Arkansas. I grew up in Arkansas, uh, and I think I've heard more about the levy system in the last <laughs> year or so uh, than I have all the rest of my life. Um, uh, not something that's really critical up here in northwest Arkansas, because water moves pretty fast up here. Uh, but uh, uh, down in the River Valley, certainly important to people. Where where, where does that conversation go? Uh, well, I'm with you. Uh, I grew up here in the hill country, and I didn't know what a levy board was. I didn't know what uh, the levies uh, did comprehensively in the state of Arkansas. So, But I've learned, and uh, there's nothing like it whenever you fly from Little Rock to uh, Fort Smith with the Arkansas River at the highest flood stage in history. And you see that levee system in operation. What impressed me is it works. You know, it was restraining the river. It was 
protecting flood land and, and homes all along the river. And then you'd see a few places where there's a breach and you say, we got to do better. And then you start looking into it further and see that some of the levee boards that are created are dysfunctional, that haven't maintained it. The levees aren't doing the inspection that's necessary. And that's the reason for the levee task force. And we put $10 million into immediate repair of a number of our levees. But we want to look at a long-term regeneration of our levee system in this state. So we brought in the core, we brought in some of the model levee districts that are doing an outstanding job and said, what do we need to do? And they gave, I think it's 17 recommendations uh, out of the levee board, out of the levee task force. And uh, uh, much of it is uh, structural as to how we can strengthen our levee boards, maybe combine a couple of the districts when they're protecting the same system uh, where we can have uh, more regular reports from them. But there'll be a partnership with the state where we will provide some grant money if they'll raise their standards to Corps of Engineer uh, standards for levees, which means that if they're breached again, the federal government pays for it. And that's the incentive for getting them up to those standards. And it's important not just for the Arkansas River, but we're going to be inventorying the White River, uh, the Red River, uh, the Black River. There's others that are dependent upon good, levee, effective levee systems as well. So uh, there'll probably be uh, additional funding, and there'll be uh, probably some legislation on those reporting requirements. I'm going to stick with uh, uh, a river question, but a, a different river now. Uh, Arkansas is now the proud owner of the of the former CNH hog farm uh, uh, up in the Buffalo River watershed, uh, which I think everyone thinks is a, is a good result. Uh, but there's been a lot of talk about what the state will be doing in the future to continue to protect that watershed and keep it keep it pristine. Uh, care to comment about that? Or uh, 2019 was a good year for the Buffalo River. We took uh, three major steps uh, in protecting the watershed and making sure that river is a pristine national uh, asset. Uh, first of all, we uh, purchased a CNH hog farm and all the hogs have been removed. It was a voluntary uh, decision by the farmers to sell based upon the market price that we agreed upon, uh, uh, but that was necessary. And then secondly, uh, I've asked uh, the Pollution Control and Ecology Commission, and this goes to your future question, that they put a permanent moratorium on large-scale hog operations in the Buffalo uh, River watershed. And that is what is the uh, future step that is necessary. And these are the confined animal feeding operations, so it's not just hogs, but it's animal feeding operations that might have you know, more than two or 3,000 uh, in a confined environment. We're just not going to have that in the Buffalo River watershed. And then thirdly, uh, we uh, developed uh, with the uh, Nature Conservancy and other private sector partners uh, some funding that will help us to protect the, uh, the watershed, uh, which means that if there's a farmer that needs to build a fence or to create a pond, uh, they can apply for some grant money that will help us to protect it, or a city, and we've got some examples of uh, uh, sewer systems uh, in, uh, within the watershed that are municipally owned, but that are damaging the uh, Buffalo River. And so if they need to upgrade their systems, we want to be able to help them. 
So those are three things that we did last year, but they have long-term consequences and protections for uh, the river. And I think about uh, the commitment uh, to the river from uh, Bentonville, Northwest Arkansas, Fayetteville, some of the greatest supporters of that river come right here in Northwest Arkansas. I know you weren't in favor of the casino amendment, um, but we have it, uh, and three uh, communities are are moving right along uh, with regard to their casinos, but uh, Pope County is uh, struggling uh, to figure out exactly uh, how that's going to move forward. Is there a role for the governor in working that out um, uh, when it, it there's only four allowed in the state, and that, that fourth one in Pope County has just turned into quite the mess with the uh, lawsuits and the racing commission challenges. Well, it's not a responsibility that I ask for, but whether you're looking at implementing uh, the uh, medical marijuana initiative or you're looking at the casino uh, gambling initiative that the voters passed, it falls on me, the executive branch, many times to implement this. And so, absolutely, I get uh, uh, reports on it daily. Uh, we have to make uh, recommendations on it daily. Uh, and uh, you know, one thing I've learned as governor is how important the Pulaski County Circuit Court is. <laughs> you, you know, uh, uh, they stop and start us all the time uh, on, uh, on, on our decision making. And so right now there's an injunction against uh, issuing a license for Pope County issued by uh, uh, Judge Griffin. I believe it's a temporary restraining order. And so uh, we're on hold because of the decision of the courts. Uh, I'm confident that uh, it will happen, uh, and it'll happen in the right way, and we'll get it done. Uh, but uh, these are uh, economic investments of extraordinary magnitude that a lot of people have an interest in. And so they're competitive, they lawyer up, uh, they fight it, and so it just takes a time for that process to work. Uh, the one uh, in Pine Bluff is uh, up and operational. Uh, they're investing hundreds of millions of dollars there. The two uh, legacy uh, casinos, if you will, uh, Oaklawn and uh, uh, West Memphis, uh, they're uh, up and building. And so, uh, you know, Russellville, uh, if seems to be that will of the people, the county judge has signed off on it, and if that maintains, then uh, there will be one there. Uh, I didn't ask for it. But the people ask for it, and uh, uh, we'll implement it. And I do am pleased that uh, it's limited to four. Uh, you know, I don't want to be like uh, Oklahoma. No offense to uh, Governor Stitt over there, but we don't need to have uh, a casino in every uh, truck stop. Uh, I, I like it when we have four destination venues, three or four destination venues that people can say, this is how I want to spend some discretionary money. There's problems that go with it. And so there is a modest amount of tax revenue that come in. Uh, some of that is being devoted to highways. And so that's where we tightened our belt and said, that's how we're going to designate some of our uh, uh, revenue that comes in from this. But uh, we manage it every day, just one of the things that uh, falls on my lap from time to time. Our racing commission is doing a good job on it, and uh, uh, I do appoint the racing commission, but uh, I try to let them do their job, and, and they're managing it uh, and uh, trying to make the best decisions they can and consistent with 
the court's decisions as well. So at this stage, it's it's more or less just waiting until the courts play out, the, the lawsuits play out? Uh, that's right. I expect the uh, Racing Commission to uh, meet uh, soon and indicate that the applications from the first uh, uh, application period uh, consistent with the judge's ruling, uh, we have to start over on that. And so they'll take it a step at a time trying to get the uh, uh, making sure the judge is uh, approving as to the steps that we take. Um, in our final few moments, um, when uh, you took office, you qualified as the, Ar uh, the second oldest Arkansas governor. Uh, hope you don't mind me saying that. Um, at the start of the term, uh, and you're behind Thomas McRae, uh, who uh, was around the same age, um, when you leave office, though, uh, you'll still be in second place. He was he was 13 days older than you when he left office uh, uh, in uh, uh, the 1920s. Um, but uh, you'll be 73. For some people, that's time to go kick back in the rocking chair. Uh, for others, it's time to run for president. Um, you know, you know uh, we've got 77-year-olds uh, uh, out there running for president. So... Uh, you know, I'm not writing a political obituary for Asa Hutchinson at this point, but uh, you're term limited, and uh, have you kind of gotten a clear vision of, of what lays uh, ahead for, for Asa Hutchinson after your time? Well, well first of all, you can eliminate the rocking chair. It's one of those options. <laughs> uh, I tell you, I've, I'm blessed. Uh, uh, I play full court basketball still. Uh, I love the exercise. I uh, I'm grateful for health, and uh, it's interesting that uh, when President Reagan appointed me U.S. attorney, I was the youngest U.S. attorney in the nation, and then four decades later, uh, I'm still engaged uh, in the uh, public service arena. So uh, I'm grateful that we have a term limits. Two terms is enough. Eight years as governor is enough. There'll be someone come along that uh, will uh, be ready to take on uh, the, the leadership. Uh, but I've got three years left. We're going to make the most of it. And that three years is a long time to plan. And so uh, we'll wait and see how that develops. But I have said I don't expect to be finished yet. Now, that could mean I'm going to work in the private sector or it could mean that uh, I have a political opportunity ahead. I'm all, uh, People who know me understand how uh, I'm vitally concerned about uh, our, uh, the direction of our country. And, uh, you know, in whatever role I play, I hope to be engaged and influence the direction of our nation. Well, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, Arkansas governors were in their even 30s and 40s, and, uh, but, but then they went on to, you know, careers as congressmen and things. You kind of did it the other, other way. You, you <laughs> congressman and then Department of Homeland Security. And um, so you're, you're doing the reverse uh, approach on this, but, uh, and, and it's hard, it, nothing beats governor being governor and being governor of Arkansas is the best job of all of them that I've had in the public arena. Well, it's certainly the best, uh, best state, I think, uh, that, uh, no doubt about governor that. Of, uh, some of our Oklahoma friends might have a difference of opinion, uh, Rusty. Oh, yeah, okay. well, uh, I, I was born in, I was, I was grew up in Oklahoma, but I recovered. Uh, so, that's right. Yeah, yeah got to Arkansas as soon as you could. <laughs> that's right. 
Well, well Governor, we sure appreciate your time today. Uh, good luck with the, the talk uh, this afternoon with the political animals. And uh, as you uh, get back to Arcan to Little Rock and, and lead the state, we appreciate uh, what you do and, and uh, the energy that you put into it. So uh, thank you for that, and thanks for joining us today. Thank you. It's great uh, to talk to you and uh, cover all these issues. Uh, so uh, let's have a good 2020. Absolutely. Thank you, Governor. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Speaking of Arkansas. You can always find this and other Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette podcasts at www.nwaonline.com podcast. Until next time, this is Greg Harton. So long, everyone.